MailChimp presents. Have you ever heard of the dreaded customer? You know, it's when marketers throw their customers into one big messy group, failing to define them by their different needs or habits. It can show up when coupon codes meant for new customers are sent out to everyone, even return customers who can't use the discount. Basically, it's a mess. If you're a marketer, Intuit MailChimp can help you personalize your marketing campaigns so that you meet customers' individual needs instead of missing them. Turn customers into customers by personalizing emails and SMS based on real-time behavior data. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. SMS is available as an add-on to U.S. paid plans only. Visit MailChimp.com for details. We all have that elder, you know, like an auntie, a friend, a parent, who drops wisdom on us and changes the course of our lives. This season, I'm talking to 15 incredible people about important moments they went through and how the elders in their lives got them through it. I'm your host, Jenny Yang, and this is Going Through It. This week, Franklin Leonard. I've always been very risk averse, right? Like the notion of being an entrepreneur was not something that I ever thought I would do. And really, this conversation was about sort of pushing me out of the nest and sort of saying like, yeah, it's time to, to fly. You know, but in order to do that, you kind of have to fall and then see if the wings work. Today's guest, Franklin Leonard, is a classic overachiever. Not gonna lie, same girl, same. He grew up with very high expectations to succeed, and he did. Perfect SATs, Harvard, hotshot jobs, what a guy. But here's the thing about being an overachiever, y'all. At some point, you hit a wall. You are no longer fulfilled by all of the external validation, and you realize you have to make your own way. Early on in his career, Franklin landed in Hollywood developing projects for A-list talent, and he noticed that the way screenplays got made into movies was messy and very inefficient. So in 2005, Franklin created an anonymous survey asking people within the industry to submit their favorite screenplays of that year, and the final tally became The Blacklist. Slumdog Millionaire, Little Miss Sunshine, The King's Speech, The Hunger Games, okay? All of these scripts were on The Blacklist before they were snatched up and made into award-winning films. So it's not an overstatement to say that Franklin has made careers in Hollywood. But for a long time, The Blacklist was a side project. He thought about making it into a full-fledged company, but he wasn't so sure. Until one day, Franklin heard bad news about his job, which sent him into an existential spiral. So he sought out the advice of a mentor, and not just any mentor, Nina Shaw, the legendary Hollywood talent attorney. Her advice helped him to snap out of it, find his wings, and make The Blacklist into a game-changing platform for film and TV writers to showcase their screenplays to the entire industry.
I knew of Nina because, you know, she's she's sort of a godlike figure in Hollywood, right? Like, she's one of one. She's a, a black woman who's the name partner at Del Shah, Moonves, Tanaka, Finkelstein, Lascano. Uh, Del is no longer a practicing lawyer, and she's the Shaw. So uh, I'm not sure exactly when I, I sort of came to know her. I'm sure I saw her in, in the industry trades or somewhere in the press. And I, I remember talking to, to two of my friends, um, both of whom were young black executives at the time, we were like, how can we meet Nina Shaw? Like, it was literally like trying to figure out how to meet a celebrity. Yeah. What we decided was is that none of us individually could justify an hour of her time, but the three of us together probably could. And so we sent her a joint email and asked if we could take her out to dinner, and we did. And that was sort of how we met. And then, you know, as I tried to steer the blacklist more towards a sustainable long-term thing. She was a person that I often turned to for guidance and advice, and then she became my lawyer. But I, I just sort of think of her as an older sister now. Yeah. Who also, you know, is really good with, with contracts and the law. <laughs> That's a great older sister to have. How would you describe Nina to someone who had never heard of her or met her? If I didn't know her and met her, my guess would be it's like, oh, you were like an early Alvin Ailey dancer. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of vibe. Yeah. She sort of moves effortlessly. She's sort of ageless, always perfectly dressed, and in a way that's sort of not ostentatious, but just cool. Short hair. She's just, she's a beauty. She's just like one of those sort of ageless black women who emits self-possession and wisdom and intelligence and like has a rapier wit that she only uses in very specific settings um, and just knows more than you. And it's very clear when you meet her that she knows more than you (laughs) and she doesn't have to tell you that, right? (laughs) Unless you're oblivious, you know. Um, But she's been, you know, look, she's, she's been a lawyer in Hollywood for decades. She's represented some of the most important talent, black or otherwise, in the industry for decades. Something will happen in the news to, like, some legendary Hollywood figure, and I'll sort of mention it in passing in the conversation, and she'll have a story about that person from 40 years ago. Yeah. And it's like a social story. It's not like a business story. It's like, oh, yeah, I went to his birthday party in the early 80s, and I'm just, I'm just like, of course you did. Of course <laughs> you did, because I will never be as cool as you, no matter what I do for the rest <laughs> of my life. And, Yeah. I'm lucky she gives a damn about me. Growing up as a black kid in West Central Georgia, the notion of working in Hollywood had honestly never occurred to me. Like, I've always loved movies, but the idea of, like, moving to L.A. and working in the film business, it was more realistic to me that I could have been an astronaut because I was, like, a decent athlete and really good at math. So it really had never occurred to me until I was, like, 22 years old. Oh, right, I guess I could move to L.A. and try to figure that out. So fast forward, you're working in Hollywood. The blacklist is popular, but still not your main thing. So how did you actually transition from your other work to making the blacklist your focus? I was at the Toronto Film Festival, and I had gotten word sort of through back channels that my contract at my job was not being renewed. And I remember feeling sorry for myself. Mm. You know, that sort of like weird haze where like, Everybody's sort of going about their day and everything in your head feels very slow motion and like audio is muted. Like I'm sure there's sort of movie references to this that I can't think of right now, but it definitely (laughs) felt like one of those sort of like weird, surreal moments where like everywhere you look, everybody's happy and like (laughs) celebrating, but I'm super sad, right? 
And I, I texted Nina Shaw, and I was like, hey, I know you're in town. Can we grab, like, coffee or a meal or something? And she's like, yeah, I'm free for lunch. And uh, we had lunch, and I sort of told her the situation. And, you know, I think my intention for that lunch was was for me to, to whine and complain and for her to tell me that I was right to be whining and complaining. <laughs> and that was not what I got. What I got instead was she was like, look, Franklin, you're in your 30s. You don't have to support a family. You have succeeded in pretty much everything you've done, and you've built this thing that you can turn into a company that you've wanted to turn into a company for a while. Like, why are you complaining? I'm not even sure those were her exact words, but that was the gist, yeah. right? Like, why are you complaining? Like, get it together. I think get it together may actually be a direct quote. Ooh. Like, your life is pretty great, and you've built this thing in the blacklist that you've probably should have gone all in on before, and now is the time to do it. So do it. Like, what are you waiting for? Why do you think you needed this push to take the risk and make the blacklist into your full-time job? I've always been very risk-averse, right? Like, you know, go to college, get the job. Like, I, I've never been, I'm going to go out on my own and figure it out. Like, the notion of being an entrepreneur was not something that I ever thought I would do. I just thought I would sort of get the next good job and get promoted until I was running something. Like that was, to the extent that I ever gave it any thought, that was my assumption for how I thought things worked. And really this conversation was about sort of pushing me out of the nest and sort of saying like, yeah, it's time to, to fly, you know? But in order to do that, you kind of have to fall and then see if the wings work. Yeah, yeah. Like how were you feeling going into that conversation? It's funny because I definitely went into that conversation like super sad, like, oh, poor me. And I came out of it like very optimistic and very aware that like for the first time in my life when I woke up the next morning, like whatever I wanted to do, I, if I wanted to do it, I could do it. It was exactly the change in perspective that I needed because there's not much that comes of poor me mm. in any situation. And, and what is going to change your trajectory or sort of give you a chance to have what you want is to say, okay, this is the situation. What can I do about it? Yeah. I, I can't say that this was the first time I had been sort of like confronted with this notion, right? Mm. That like, be appreciative of the things that you do have, even when things are not going well. Because, you know, I look, I grew up a, a black kid in West Central Georgia. My father grew up black in West Central Georgia in the 60s. His father grew up black in West Central Georgia in like the 1920s. My family always did a very good job of communicating to me how lucky we were and making sure that we recognized that. But I think that being able to sort of embrace that as a, a worldview is an iterative process because, you know, sometimes we end up in our feelings no matter how much we try to prevent it. And it prevents us from sort of taking a step back and saying, you know, there by the grace of God go I. My life, pretty good. And I don't really have a right to complain. And if history is any indication, I will probably be able to figure this situation out too. So maybe skip to the step where I'm focused on figuring it out and not the part where I'm wallowing. Mm -hmm. I 100% relate to needing a sense of perspective, like count your blessings, and maybe you're not in as bad of a position as you think you are, just because this one thing didn't pan out. I was so used to like, if I just follow the rules, if I just do the thing that I think is expected, I'll get an A for it. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I can totally relate to sort of Needing a reality check, basically, it seems like, that Nina mm -hmm. Shaw gave you around, like, 
maybe it's okay that your contract was not renewed. That's not a failure. That's actually setting you free. (laughs) Yeah, I've been that person my entire life. And there are reasons for that, right? Like my parents knew very clearly that it was vitally important that their children just absolutely crush academically, right? And I internalized that. And so I was a straight A student. I got a perfect score on the SAT. I got Oh, you did. You were nine one of those. Fives. <gasps> you I was were no, one of I was those. that I was that kid, right? Like I was Steve Urkel while Steve Urkel was on television. I'm snapping. So, I'm snapping. This is incredible. But what, but what was really interesting about that is it never really I never really thought much about like, okay, what happens after you finish school, Yeah. right? And so I sort of graduated college. I started doing a bunch of these jobs and very quickly realized, okay, this is not what I want to do with my life. On to the next. And, and they were failures in their own way. And at the time, they felt like failures. And, and they sort of, you know, folded onto each other where each thing that I didn't like immediately click with and it didn't feel like the right thing for me felt like, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, I th- felt like I'd finally sort of found that track in, in Hollywood. And then I began repeating the same thing. Just get the next big job that everybody thinks is the big job. Right. And that's what you're supposed to do. And I wasn't finding any fulfillment with it, including it up to that job that wasn't going to be renewed. And I think that was really sort of what it came down to. And then Nina sort of saying, like, get it together. Like, what is it that you want? And go do it was the first time I think I had ever really given myself permission to ask, like, okay, what is it that you want to do? Mm. And even if it isn't the thing that everybody else thinks of as the best job for the best people, can you reconcile it with your happiness? Mm. Um, And I think that that is an ongoing thing for me, and it probably will be for the rest of my life, if I'm being totally honest. So how often did you seek advice from her? I think the thing about my seeking advice from Nina is... I sort of operate under this permanent assumption that she's the busiest person that I know, and I don't want to waste her time with anything that I personally can't figure out with a little bit of effort. So I don't ring that bell often, and it's only when I really can't figure something out. Or if I find myself in like a real pit of despair, and I think this was a real pit of despair Mm. moment more than it was I can't figure this out. Because I think, look, if I had really sat with myself for a minute and needed to figure out, okay, what am I going to do for a job? I I could have figured out a job. This was one of those moments, and and they've been rare, where it was, I don't know who I am right now, and I need, and I, and I, I need to turn to somebody who can sort of understand the big picture and who knows me to you know, help me work through that. And and it's funny because again, I will fully admit that I was sort of hoping and expecting to have Nina, you know, sort of pat my back and tell me everything was going to be okay and that my feelings were totally justified. But I think the other thing about turning to somebody subconsciously, the person that you turn to in those moments, maybe you know that you're going to get the kick in the ass that you actually need, Mm. right? And, And I think that what I really appreciate about Nina, she's always going to tell me exactly how it is. She's never going to bullshit me. Even if I want to hear bullshit, she's going to tell me the truth. And we all need people like that in our corners. And I think I find more often than not that the women in my life, particularly the older women in my life, are going to be the ones who are most inclined to do that. Hmm. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, look, my my grandmother is 103 years old, still living, still here with us. Wow. Black woman born in 1918. Oh, wow. And... There's no half-stepping with her. There's no, like, I'm going to 
give it to you gently. And I think it's a combination of the fact that she's like, I'm 103. I don't know how much time I have left, so I'm just going to tell it to you quick. <laughs> but there's also some of it that's like, I've earned the right to just be honest. Yes. And so if I think you're being ridiculous, I'm going to tell you you're being ridiculous and deal with it. And those of us who have any self-awareness at all should take that on board because they've been through a hell of a lot of stuff that we're never going to, certainly that I'm never going to have to go through. I love that insight from you that you you kind of see Nina as a part of a well of wisdom that you trust in from older folks, older women. Yeah, I think that wisdom is earned through experience. And I think that it's earned through adversity, and I think that it's earned through endurance. And I think that just by the nature, the very nature of how our society has been constructed, it is inevitable that certain communities fortunately and unfortunately, have greater opportunity to earn wisdom than others. <laughs> and so we'd be foolish to not take that wisdom and, and accept that wisdom whenever we can get it. And I'm lucky enough that I have a bunch of people in my life, including a number of women who are older than I am, who are chock full of it. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm a lot of things, but I, I don't think I'm stupid. And, and I think one of the ways in which I'm not stupid is that I, I seek the advice of people who know more than I do. Mm. Is the advice that Nina gave you something that your parents could have given you? So so here's what's interesting. My parents, you know, my father is the first person in his family to go to college. And then he went on to medical school, and he's a neonatologist now who also was in the Army for 25 oh, years. Oh, wow. My mom is a PhD in education, was a teacher, like taught science at the K-12 school that my brother and sister and I went to uh, in Columbus, Georgia. They, like a lot of black families— and sort of the overlap with immigrant families, I think, is actually very strong here, where it's <laughs> like, it's going to be harder for you. Work twice as hard to get half as far, so we're going to make sure you work four times as hard <laughs> so no one can say shit to you, right? Perfect like, that SATs, was, Franklin. That was, yeah, Perfect no, SATs. but that was the vibe, right? And, and my siblings are exactly the same way, right? My younger brother was a full soccer scholarship to the University of Virginia, oh. played professional soccer for seven years, then went to medical school and is now an emergency room physician. My sister just got a master's in social work and does amazing work with, like, trans teens and with black and brown women's maternal health, Right? Like, I'm in many ways the least impressive of my siblings. It was just like, this was the expectation. Like, yeah. we know what you're capable of. Yeah. We know how hard you're capable of working. Just do it. Mm. And what, what I think is really remarkable about my parents, and I think the older I get, the more I appreciate it, you know, trying to imagine raising three black kids in the Deep South in the 80s and 90s, I can't imagine the levels of stress. Yeah. And I can't imagine uh, the worry that they must have had in trying to sort of prepare us for a world that was not made for us or likely to be terribly receptive to us. And so they were simultaneously, like, it was very clear what the expectations were, but they were always, always going to be the soft landing that we needed when we needed it. Oh, right? that's so nice. So if there was a failure, if there was, you know, if, if, I had, if I had washed out of Hollywood and gone home, there always would have been a place for me. And there never would have been, it would never would have been, we're disappointed that you didn't figure this out. It would have been, I'm sorry that this didn't work for you. Whatever you choose to do next will be the right thing. And we have no doubt that you will succeed. Aww. So I don't know that they ever would have, it never would have occurred to them to be like, Franklin, get your head out of your ass and get it together because they've always sort of departed from the assumption that the world is hard and we were preparing 
our children for the hard world. And when the world is hard for them, it is also important that we be soft so that they can know that there is a soft part of the world too. Oh my God. But I don't think they would have been capable of giving me that advice because it would not, it would have violated their instinct of protect and care, Mm. which is what Nina was doing as well. But she had enough knowledge of sort of how the world worked and what I needed to hear in that moment to give me the advice that I needed. But I also don't know that I would have wanted my parents to give me that advice because I wouldn't have taken it seriously. I would have been like, what do you know about Hollywood? (laughs) You know? But what they do know is they gave you a foundation to feel a sense of existential security. Yeah, 100%. Incredible. 100%. They managed to make me and all of my siblings believe that there was no room that we didn't belong in. Yeah. Period. And there was no room that we couldn't be the best person in that room. I love that. Yeah, so how would you characterize the advice that Nina gave you? Like, if someone came to you with a similar problem, what would you tell them? When you are in your feelings, take a step back and think about the full scope of everything and try to recognize just how good your life is. And I don't know that that applies to everybody in every circumstance, but I know that for the bulk of my life, if not the entirety of it, that should inoculate me against most of the being in my feelings that I have. When I do find myself in my feelings, I go back to that conversation very quickly. And I remind myself just how positive that change in my life was. And if that moment, which felt dire at the time, can result in all of the good things that have come in the subsequent nine years, what may come of any future dire moment if I take the right perspective on it? What I dig about Franklin's story is that from the outside, turning the blacklist into a company seemed like a no-brainer, right? Like as a side project, it was already making waves in Hollywood. But sometimes we can't see what's right in front of us. And it takes someone we deeply admire to shake us up. Sometimes the thing we need is perspective. Yeah, a splash of cold water to wake you up to the truth. I got a taste of that back in college when I was a student at Swarthmore. I was having problems in a class required for my major and sought advice from my mentor, Tim Sams. He was an assistant dean and director of the Black Cultural Center, and he was my rock. I remember sitting down in his office full of snot and tears, just distraught. My political science professor was using super racist books, so I was so mad I refused to do the work. Tim listened to me, y'all. He was so patient. And when I asked him, what should I do? He calmly replied, what are you here to do? I'm like, what kind of question is that? Okay. Confused. So he explained, my job at the end of the day was to graduate and get the hell out of here so I can affect change out there in the world. That's the bottom line. Right? These institutions will make students of color not succeed, so making sure I graduate was what was really at stake. Splash. Perspective. And it worked. Through gritted teeth, I passed. Ugh. Thank you, Tim Sams. So yeah, sometimes we need to get out of our feelings and get a dose of perspective. That idea that makes you want to quit your day job might be right in front of you, but you can't see it. Which is why we need those elders in our lives to tell us to get it together. 
Working Through It is an original podcast created in partnership with MailChimp and Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers for Going Through It are Jayanne Berry, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Our managing producer is Agarenish Ashagre. This season is produced by the all-star team of Sophia Steinert-Evoy, Emerald O'Brien, and Yinka Rickford-Anguin. And we're edited by the irreplaceable Aaron Edwards. We're engineered to perfection or very close to it by Davey Sumner. Our theme music was produced by Raj Makicha. Dawood Anthony also produced original music for this season with additional tunes from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Extra special thanks to Himia Freeman for his support on this production. And of course, the biggest thanks to my own elders for everything and for being the inspiration behind the show. Mom, Dad, Margaret Cho, Tracy Kato Kiriyama, Keiko Agena, Tim Sams, Gina Lugong, Quan Fung, Michelle Ko, and so many more. And thanks in general to my loud-ass partner, Corey Higgs, for staying quiet in the house for me. And thank you for listening.